Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. Well, it's 73. It's great to be here, but it's good to be anywhere. (laughs) You wake up in the morning and you go, who am I? And that's why in the hospital we wear a badge. People say, who are you? I go, hang on. Upside down. (laughs) It's always great being here. And the family's great. And our personal friends. Yeah, go on then. I don't mind you selling me some water. Thank you. That'll do. If it's vodka, I'll be preaching with a bit of fire. It's good to have uh, two ex-mayors with us today. And we have those in Soli Hall. Isn't that wonderful? They do tremendous work for the towns. And uh, because in Soli Hall, we invite them at Christmas. And they so enjoy it, they say, when I'm out of office, can I come next year? So last year, we had 14 of them all lined up there. And uh, often they don't serve as mayor until they're a bit older, so they've got more time. And so I looked at them and I said, it's true what they say, the old grey mare ain't what they used to be. And uh, they still forgave me for that. <clears throat> I'm handing over the church after 47 years in March <clears throat> to a great guy. He's from Liverpool, but he can't help that. And he's, um, at least he's an evidence supporter, so you know he loses as much as we do. And he's, he's taking over. And that's going to release me. I'm still going to be based there. But we've now got a network of churches called the Order of St. Leonard, which now runs to 3,000 in eight eight African countries. India just joined, Pakistan and uh, Canada and Europe. And uh, there's 3 million people in that. And I think that will just about keep me occupied looking after that. I want to speak on a subject that involves everybody here today. It's a subject that really burnt into me because it affected my life. And I'm sure it'll affect you as well. And when I preached this in my own church, just over 300 people responded, including elders, pastors, and those in church leadership. Because what I'm going to speak about today does not exclude anybody here. I'll let you into a secret. I've been both of these things. And even as a Christian, as a minister, I was a slave. And I want to speak on the question of simply this today, be a young person at college, being an old person retired, I want to know, are you a slave or are you a servant? And to the outside, it may not tell us who. And if you are a servant or a slave, to what? The Bible often interchanges those titles. However, it's in an attempt to show service through devotion rather than demand. I want to ask you that question. What motivates you? What drives you? Or what leads you? Do you know the difference even in animal welfare between here and the East is remarkable. If you go to some countries, the shepherd always leads the sheep. And the sheep follow them. But in the West, we drive the sheep. 
the farmer stands at the back and he sends his dogs and he drives them. And the dogs drive the sheep and the sheep run and they're forced and they run into a point and he whistles them and brings them back. I, we've got churches, 15 churches in Bulgaria and I was there not long ago and as I was looking through my hotel window onto the hillsides, I saw the most beautiful situation. I saw an old man, shepherd, and he was sitting just in the dip of a hill and all the mothers were there with their lambs. And it was wonderful because they trusted this shepherd and all the sheep cleared off at half an hour without the kids. No, kids are goats, aren't they? Well, the lambs. <laughs> and they were eating all the lush grass, leaving the lambs to crawl all over the shepherd. And they were lying on his chest, licking his face. And he was very emotional to see it. And then after a while, when he felt that had enough, he got up and with his staff in his hand. And suddenly all the moms come back and the kids got in line and they followed him down a track. And a friend of mine who's a minister went to the Middle East and he saw a shepherd beating the sheep, beating the sheep. And he said to the taxi driver, I thought you led them. He said, oh yes, they're going to the slaughter yard. You have to force them. And there's two powers in our life. There's one that causes us to follow and one that causes us to be driven. And the, dif the difference is not in what we do, it's why we do it, and how we do it. See, a slave feels forced, driven, fear of punishment, almost an addiction to follow. Even some Christians are driven to serve as preachers. That's what gave me the heart attack. As worship leaders, as car park attendants. And even though there could be two people doing the same job, one feels they've got to do it or God won't accept them, God won't love them, the church won't need them. And if they give their badge up, they leave the church because they're driven. They're not led. People say to me at the moment, how do you feel about giving away this church to somebody else and sitting in the pew? And I said, I have no problem because it was never mine in the first place. Before we were Christians, Jesus actually calls us, without being offensive, we were slaves to sin because sin means self-centeredness. It says this in John 8, 34, Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to it. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now Jesus is showing that sin, which is self-centeredness, independence from God, willful transgression is addictive. And I want to talk about addiction. You see, the dictionary, the, the, the normal secular dictionary says this about a slave. It's a person who is, legally, who is the legal property of another and forced, say forced, forced to obey them. See, this is a driven experience. You don't have any option. A person who works exceedingly hard is said to be slaving away. It's oppressive. You try to fulfill gratification that is never satisfied. One who is addicted to the world's order, its values, its philosophy, its lifestyle. A slave to ambition or just restricted in any attempt to discover freedom in Christ. The old hymn puts it this way. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, 
fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, but I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. See, a slave and a servant can look the same. Many slaves dress well, have plenty to eat, sleep in good accommodation, perform many duties just as a servant. You would not know the difference. You go into this country today and there's more slavery in the world now per head of population than ever. You have your nails done, slaves, car washed, slaves. But you see, you can be a slave to your business. You can be a slave to your religion. You can be a slave to your politics. You can be a slave to your car. You can be a slave to your internet, to your device. So that now when you walk into a place now, even at the restaurant, every member of the family is looking at their iPhone and not at each other. There's no eye contact. There's iPhone, iBook, but no eye God. We're a slave to it. Certain games that you play, it comes up on your screen. You are addictive. You can't do without it. Even in churches today, because people have the Bible on their phone, the chances are they're looking up their emails while I'm speaking and they're texting. I want to point to you. Any moment now, I'm pointing to you. It's somebody just over here on the left. Give me a wave. But what does the dictionary say a servant is? If we know a slave is forced to do something, it's a person who performs duties for others. A slave does that. Especially a person employed in a house. A slave's not paid. A personal attendant, devoted. They're not devoted. And they are helpful follower. Say follower. They're a supporter. One who chooses to serve. Say choose. They choose through love of the owner and the ability to submit by choice, say choice, and not by force. See, the difference is they choose to do it. They are free to do it. They're not forced to do it. They're not driven to do it. There's a freedom. A.W. Tozer, that theologian, said this, I am thy servant to do thy will, which is sweeter to me than a position or riches or fame and I choose it above all things on earth in heaven. I'm not doing it for what I'm getting out of it. I'm doing it because I'm doing it. I'm giving it. Now in Romans 6.20, Paul says something very interesting. Very interesting. He says this, for when you were the servants of sin, hang on, when you willingly sinned, and we've all done that. Every one of us have done things willingly that we knew was wrong. But this is the interesting thing. You can't say, I, I, I couldn't help it. Adam tried that. The woman you gave me made me do it. And God says, no, because even though Eve sinned first, the Bible says sin first entered by Adam because Adam chose to sin. And you see, we all start off with freedom. A person who takes the first shot of heroin does it freely. The person who gets drunk does it freely. The first person who goes on pornography does it freely. The first person who walks, works 16 hours a day does it freely, but it always leads to addiction. You become a slave after you choose. You choose first. And the Romans says this, for well, when you were a servant of sin, willingly submitting to it, you were free from righteousness. What does that mean in English? When you were sinning, the thing that you should be doing had no control over you. 
You go shoplifting and the first time you do it, you feel guilty. After a while, you don't. A man and a woman who have an affair, first time they feel guilty, after that they don't. Because rightness has no control over them. The first person to steal from a shop, first person to steal from business, cheat on God. First time you're guilty, after that you don't. Because when addiction comes in, the need is greater than the problem. And he said, but what fruit have you if you live a life like that? Basically, all these self-gratifying actions, what good have they produced? You just feel ashamed of your life and the result of such a lifestyle is that spiritually you're dead. That's what happens when we're addicted. In this case, they start by serving sinfulness by choice, freedom to sin, yet become enslaved, bound by sin and nature's night. If you go to Liverpool, there's an international slavery museum there. And over the door as you walk in, it says this, I quote, the moment the slave resolves that he will no longer be a slave, his fetters fall. Freedom and slavery are mental states. If slavery is not wrong, nothing's wrong. Where slavery is, their liberty cannot be. And where liberty is, slavery cannot be. See, the children of Israel served Egypt voluntarily. When Joseph was in authority, he brought them in and said, come, serve us. This happened with the Jews in Germany. Come, service. Jews all over the world, come, service. But what happened was that the Jews became very successful because they worked hard. The same as the people who run our corner shops, the people resent. Because they work hours, we won't. And they get up at five in the morning and go to bed at 11 at night. And they put their kids through education so they'll become accountants and doctors because they want their kids to do better than themselves. And we moan because we won't. And we welcome them to do the jobs we don't want them to do. But then when they become successful, we try to enslave them. And that's what happened with the Jews in Germany. And that's what happened with the children of Israel in Egypt. They started off by serving and finished up as slaves. They now had to make bricks without straw. And they cried unto God and they went, God, we've become slaves. We started to serve and now we're being made to do things. We're now totally imprisoned by this. And God sent an 80-year-old man and they said, oh no, we don't want him. And you know, sometimes when we're in slavery and we're given the opportunity through Jesus Christ to be set free, we say, oh, I don't want religion. I just want somebody to sort of sit down and talk to. That's fine, I'm a counsellor. I just want somebody to just uh, get me out of this mess. But friends, if you've got a slavery spirit, you'll go back into slavery. Do you know, we had a lady in our church because two of my pastors used to be mainline drug addicts. And she came in and she said, and you could understand it, she said, my, my son's a drug addict, could you counsel him? And they said, tell us about your son. They went, no. What do you mean, no, she said. They said, your son isn't bad enough yet. So what do you mean? They said, until your son can get no lower, he will never be free. He's got to realise he's a slave to heroin. And when he realises he's a slave to heroin, to booze, to TV, to Coronation Street, to anything else, you will never, ever be free. No, you can be. You can put that before God. 
And your football. I was in football 21 years. It's a religion. Some people put more money in the, in the, in, in, in the season ticket than they do in the offering. Some people spend more time travelling to see the football than they do come to church. So don't tell me you're not addicted. I did 21 years in football. I know exactly the addiction that pulls out 50,000 people in the snow and you won't get 500 people to a church. I know the addiction. And so they come and they say to him, Lord, we want to be set free. And this old man comes, stammering. And he got them out of Egypt. You know, isn't that incredible? He got them out of Egypt. It was an 11-day journey. That's shorter than your two weeks holiday in the cost of living. An 11-day journey, and it took 40 years. Because I want to say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. It's easier to get them out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of them. And you know, some of you here today are committed Christians and thank God you have been brought out of the world of sin, but there are still strongholds in your life that you've been here 10, 15, 20 years. You still get offended. You still get hooked on this. You still can't be free of that. You feel guilty. But then again, you say the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me and you carry on and you've been coming to church for years, but there's certain things in your life you're still slaves to. It's not demonic. You haven't got a demon. You've got slavery. But today you'll be free. Amen. And you always know if you've got slavery in you. They brought them out of Egypt and they're all cheering. Lots of money in their pocket, everything. Everything's going well. Egyptians put gold in their hands. Never known it so good. I've just become a Christian today, Dave. Everything's gone great. All my life's changed. I've got a hope now. I'm, I'm on the way to a destiny. I'm going to a promised land. And next thing you know, the sea's there and the enemy's after you and you want to go back. <laughs> then you find there's no food. You want to go back. Then Moses is missing for a month. You want to go back. Then they build a golden calf and they want to go back. Because you see, folks, you can be a genuine Christian and still have slavery in your life. Not today. Well, listen to what it says in Romans 6. Yet now being free from sin, oh yes, listen, becoming servants of God, free choice, say free choice. You now have fruit of holiness. Now something's beginning to grow in your life. And the end is, you've got everlasting life. I'm a chaplain. I'm dealing with dead people every week. I have five people at the moment in palliative care that I'm on call for. All last week, I just had to go to a hospital where two consultant doctors called me in to say goodbye to their 17-year-old daughter. And the doctors could not save their daughter. Two consultants crying over their 17-year-old daughter. They called me in. And they were Hindus. They called me in. Why? Because I believe in everlasting life. Because I've got something inside me that's freed me from death. Because even though I die, I live. And yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. There's something about a Christian which is unique. And that is, we only worry about the process of death. We have no fear of death. Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. My God, if we can't get excited about eternal life, we might as well go home and watch Luton lose. <laughs> Even though they drew yesterday. 
But they were losing. Until they drew. See, the servant of God bears fruit of righteousness. Wow, as a servant of God, not a slave, you have everlasting life. Death and the grave has been defeated. You know, I saw it on a Christian once, I'm addicted to Jesus. And I said, take it off, because if you are, you're not a Christian. I'm not addicted to Jesus. I choose Jesus as he chose me. I'm not forced to go to church. I'm not forced to read the Bible. I'm not frightened that he'll send me to hell if I don't put my tithe in. I do it because I know him, I love him, I serve him, and I want to do it. If you're in fear and you're in church, you're in religion. Religion drives you, it forces you, it makes you feel guilty, you have to go to confession, you have to, you're frightened, oh my God, he's thundering, God's, God's angry. No, he's not angry, it's called thunder. <laughs> he's angry when you're a slave because he died to set you free. See, we don't bring a slavery mentality into our faith in Christ. Yes, we have been purchased with a price, yet not as a slave, we are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're sons and daughters of the living God. What happens when we become Christians is we are liberated from a slave's mentality. We're created to serve, to govern, to rule, yet to be willingly submissive to God. In the Bible, there's a thing called a bond servant, not a bond slave. And what used to happen was simply this. If a slave was a slave for 17 years, at the end of the 17 years, the master would let him free. But the slave would look into the world and say, freedom in the world is worse than slavery with this man. And when he saw that he'd given him a house and clothes and his kids educated, and he really loved his master, he'd go to the master and say, I want to be a bonded servant, not a slave anymore. I want to serve you through choice. And he'd take him before the judges of the town and they'd inquire to see if he'd been blackmailed and bullied. And if he wasn't, the master would take a brad oar, which my dad used to use as a saddle maker, which pushes through leather, which is a sharp spike, and he'd put him against the door and he'd give him a hole in his ear, you know, become trendy, hole in his ear, with an earring in, hole in his ear, yeah, like crazy. And um, whenever he walked around the community, they would see that this man chose to be a servant. It's called a bond servant. No, don't get back at my age. Oh, this way, that's it, that's it. I boldly went where no 73-year-olds normally go. <laughs> so one question I want to ask again now, are you driven or are you led? See, in Matthew 20, 23, Jesus made a very big statement. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve others. He wasn't a slave to his father's will. He was a servant and said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. But it was a choice. Christian faith is not slavery. We're not addicted or controlled by God. Now some teach that all our future is being preordained by God and we have no choice. Now I'm not going to argue between Calvinism and Arminianism, but they say, doesn't matter, God will save who he wants to save. He's got your future sorted out. Just carry on living. Okay, that's good. That's good thought, that is. So did God, did God ordain David to commit adultery and arrange for her husband to be killed? No. Did he arrange for Moses to lose his temper and strike the rock twice and not go into the promised land? No. 
Did he preordain Samson to sleep with a prostitute? No. Did God preordain Adam to rebellion and Judas to kill himself? No. But he did preordain your forgiveness and salvation before the foundation of the world. He can't predestine you to sin. God does not sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to close off by saying this. When Joshua finally got to take them in, he said this, I'm not making you going in because you're not slaves anymore. Choose. What word? What word? Choose you this day who you will serve. And he gives them three options. You can either serve the gods of your family and all the history of your family. You can serve the culture that you live in or come from. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Now I want to look at that before we pray. The gods of your family. What is it in your background that holds you and you've never been free? Now in my family, it was heart trouble. There's a lot of sickness here and some of it is hereditary. My dad dropped dead with a heart attack. My brother, 58, died of a heart attack and they took half an hour, brought him back. He's now 86. I had a heart attack on the motorway at the age of 42. My mum died of heart trouble. And so when you go to a hospital, they do a check on you and they ask for your family history. I've got women in our church because all their mothers have had cancer, have had mastectomies. They've taken their breasts off on the risk that they will have cancer because it's in their family line. It's not a demon, it's not the demon of, of, of breast cancer. It's faulty genes. It's bad breeding. If we had a dog, we'd put it down to bad breeding. If he's a Christian, it's got to be a demon. <laughs> My God, a demon a day helps a Christian pray. <laughs> the devil ain't that imaginative. Some of it's bad breeding. It's just you've married the wrong person. Just turn around to your husband and say, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> but if the man had said it to the woman, she wouldn't have cooked him any dinner. Now we had heart trouble and we were a slave to it because all we talked about, heart disease, heart disease, heart disease. But I suddenly realised one day, my heavenly father didn't die of a heart attack. He didn't have cancer or Alzheimer's. And so I said, no more am I going to be a slave to heart disease. And that was 31 years ago last month. And my brother went from 55 to 86. And we've broken that because we're no longer a slave to heart disease. We are a servant of the living God. Some of you sitting here with cancer and other things. That can be broken today. I said, that can be broken today. Do you know, I was in hospital the other day and a man came into A&E and he was crying, he was all emotional. I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm dying. I said, oh, man, man, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm Dave the chaplain. And, and, and can I ask you what you're dying of? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, why are you dying? He said, I'm ill and the whole of my male side died at 65. He said, I'm dying. I said, you and I are fortunate you met me today. 
I said, because you're going to reach 66, mate. That's right. Because you're no longer going to be a slave to the number 65. I'm going to introduce you into the God who makes you a servant, not a slave. You will serve 65. You won't be killed by it. Prayed with him. Come on. Come on. No longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. And so you may have things in your family, in your history, that are holding you back. And you, every time you're moving on, you, you love God, you love God. But you go, oh my God, you know, this might happen. And, and of course, the dimensions on my dad and my mom's side. And that's a real thing. It's a medical thing, but it doesn't have to be today. You can be the person who kicks it. You're the person who misses it. You know, I had a lady in my church who, who came from a family hunting in career, which is the worst illness in the world. It is a terrible illness. She only talked about one day she's going to get it, one day she's going to get it, one day she's going to get it. She made her son be sterilized and they found that the son hadn't got it and so he can't have kids because she's had him sterilized. And you know, she actually got what she confessed. She got it. Son didn't because the son wouldn't accept it, but she would. So today the question is what you were slave to. Now secondly, it's culture. My heart aches for my grandchildren. They're living in a culture now that believes everything totally opposite to the Bible. In our morality, sexuality, in our thinking, in our family, in our family values, it's totally contrary to the Word of God and they're being fashioned by the culture. They believe what the teacher tells them, not what the parent tells them. And what society is telling them. I was with our MP this week. I won't tell you what we said. It was private because he often calls me in and we have a chat. Because we, 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 we can... You know, we had one politician come in and started mocking the church over our marriage thoughts. And I wrote to her and, and I said to her, uh, it's good to have you as our new MP. We're non-political in our church. We support whoever the MP is. The Bible says pray for those that have rule over you. But why would you mock the church when you've just come into office? And she wrote back saying, because the church is now declining and insignificant. I said, okay, let me give you some advice. You got in by 220 votes and I have 2,000 in my congregation. Are we still insignificant? <laughs> and she suddenly realized that one word from me, she wouldn't get in again. Because I could sway the vote. Next thing I knew, she said, oh, there's been a big mistake. Can we have a meal? I went, no, thank you. <laughs> And then she laughed at my jokes before I, before I said them. <laughs> and then the council declared us a couple of years later we were the fourth emergency centre for the whole borough. Because we're significant. But you see, our young people and you are fashioned by culture, political culture. All the issues we've got over Brexit at the moment, good, bad and indifferent. There's a fear all over the nation. And some of you live your lives based on the culture that you live in. I mean, you bring that into the church. And you expect the church to actually play to your culture rather than you being part of the kingdom culture. We have 50 nations in our church and we do not play 50 types of music of worship. We do not have sermons from 10 minutes to two and a half days to accommodate what they get back home. We say, this is a kingdom culture. We love you. And when we walk into church, we leave our culture outside. Right. We leave our colour outside. We're neither black nor white nor green or yellow. We're children of God. Right. You know, we're a church that's gone from totally white. We've got about 2,000 in the church. Totally white to 45% non-white. And, and, and what do you do? Because politically correct says, and the charity trust said to us, you're not reflective of your church. 
but we couldn't put leaders in just because they were non-white. It's insulting a man to say, oh, by golly, you're good, you're black. We'll have you as a leader. Can't write or read, don't know the Bible, but you fit the bill. It's a blooming insult, isn't it? So we went to prayer and we said, we want to be kingdom culture, but we want to reflect our church. And it was wonderful because every time a vacancy came up, the person who won hands down wasn't white. And for the last six appointments now, they've not been white. And we've said to the white people, get yourself smartened up a bit. <laughs> it's just wonderful what God's doing. One of our new elders, one of the head of finance, one of our top administrators, all from Africa, Caribbean, India, all of this wonderful. It's really great. Every time I walk in now, they think I'm anemic. <laughs> Are you governed by culture? Are you a slave to culture? Political correctness? Are you a slave to it? Frightened? Can't say that's not politically correct. Can't say this, we can't do that. And who's, who's invented political correctness? Would you like to tell me the name of the person who invented it? Is there a board for it? Is there a chairman of a council? No, it's all made up on the hoof. Whatever person doesn't like you, they accuse you of being politically insensitive. There's a difference between decency and correctness. And then lastly, before we pray, yeah, before we pray. As for me, nobody can do what I'm going to ask you in a moment. Nobody can do it for you. You've got to make your own decisions. You've got to decide are you going to be a slave or a servant. You've got to decide if you're a leader in this church, if you're a minister, if you're a visitor. You've got to decide if you're too proud to respond to what I'm going to ask any minute now. You've got to make your own decision. If only my wife was here, no, you're here. If only my kids were here, no, you're here. If only one of the church members was here, no, you're here. Don't matter how young you are, don't matter how old you are. He said, as for me, never ask anybody to do what you won't do yourself. When I, when I preached this sermon at my church three weeks ago, first person out was an elder. Second one out was a pastor. I didn't turn around and say, what's your slavery? I just thought, thank you for your honesty. You want to be free. Because pride is the biggest slavery that will keep you where you are today. As for me, so you're going to make a decision any minute now. If there's any slavery in your life, and you know what it is, some of it you wouldn't want to mention, and some of it seems so simple, but you're a slave. Even as a Christian, you're going to be set free. And my house. If you're a single mom here, single parent, or you're a father, you are the head of your home. And when they put the Passover blood over the top, dad didn't turn around and say to his son, I'm watching the camel racing on the telly, go and put some blood and slap it on the door. You are responsible for your household. A lady came to me and she said, I'm a single mom and my son wants to bring his girlfriend to stop for the weekend. They want to sleep together. I said, are you a Christian? Do you believe in that? She said, no. I said, he can sleep with her at Premier Inn or other good hotels are available. You have to say that for advertising now. <laughs> If he wants to sleep with her, he can go down the Premier Inn. He doesn't do it in your back room. The blood is over your house. And you say to him, you respect your mom here because your mom's a Christian. If you want to have sex with your girlfriend, you can go to her house or you can go to the Premier Inn, but you ain't doing it in my backyard. You're responsible for your house. You're responsible for your house. Well, he might not talk to me again. Well, he don't love you then, does he? Because he's selfish. But if you've been a good mother, he'll respect your beliefs. 
and honour you. You know, my son went away from the Lord for 18 years, moved in with a girl, got her pregnant, living with her. He, he came round to my house. He never once asked me to go to his house. And I said to my wife, I don't know what that is. She said, oh, he told me. He so respects your faith, he wouldn't allow you to walk into sin. He so honours you, he'll come to your house, he won't invite you into his because he's living outside of God's love. But praise God, he's back in the kingdom. As for me and my house, serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.